Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, it seems like it's been an eternity since the infrastructure deal was announced, the infighting continues, and it's really hurting the president and our chances uh, for next year. Uh, today, Alex and I welcome Simon Rosenberg, president of NDM and the New Policy Institute, a Democratic campaign veteran. I mean, he and I have, uh, have been trying to figure out how to make it a better, more um, energized, more organized uh, Democratic Party. Um, that, you know, before I in- introduce Simon completely, I want to talk to you. He's been at the forefront, like spotted the need for the party to rethink the way we were communicating to Hispanics and the Latinos before anybody else in the party or before most in the party were, were thinking that way. I, I think um, He's just a, a, you know, a brilliant voice that I go to repeatedly uh, to rethink what we need to be thinking about if we're going to win, particularly as we approach 2022 and 2024. Um, And so he uh, he just recently uh, wrote a piece, uh, said Democrats time for us to come together. um, That was pretty provocative, has gotten a lot of notice, been picked up on uh, by Politico and a lot of the. Uh, and social media over the last day or two. Welcome, Simon. Uh, thanks for being with us and and being able to talk through things. Joe, it's always an honor to be with you. It's uh, you're one of my favorite uh, collaborators, discussers, whatever we call it. It's just great to be here. Thanks so much for the opportunity. So, so your memo, and we're going to include that in our show notes. Uh, so everybody listening, uh, there'll be a link, and you can go uh, read it for yourself if you have if you've missed it since it's been picked up by Politico and making the rounds this week. Uh, but wanted to have you on to discuss that, Simon. You know, your lead of your memo that got picked up is Biden's decline is alarming. And after, you know, riding high initially, his approval has dropped roughly 15 points this summer. Can you, you know, why don't you give us an overview of, of what your thinking is right now? Sure. And, and I think, first of all, um, I want to be very clear that I think the decline that we've seen in Biden's poll numbers is really significant and it needs to be viewed that way by the family. I don't think this is something we can easily dismiss. And I think what I try to do in the memo is to explain why I think he went down so we can learn how to fix it, right? And to create a path forward. And so the argument I make in here is that I think if you look at polling from the election in 2020 and polling in the first half of this year, Joe Biden was really elected to do one thing and which was to defeat COVID. And when he was defeating COVID in the spring, his numbers went way up. And when COVID started defeating him, his numbers went way down. It's very simple. And so I think what's really critical now for us to, to go forward, because we have to be clear that the election we're held today with Joe Biden at 45%, we would lose the House and the Senate. We'd lose the House by 
you know, 40, 50 seats. And, and I think for the future of the country and all the work that you do in defending our democracy, I think that we have to recognize that holding the House in particular, it may be the single most important thing we can do to protect our democracy over the next 18 months, right? And I think this has to be seen as a much higher priority for all of us. So, so what do we do, right? I think there are three things the president has to do to get his numbers back up and to get back on track. First is we got to cut a deal on reconciliation and put us behind us. During this period that we've been debating reconciliation, his numbers have come way down. Uh, Even though they have spent tens of millions of dollars defending it, his numbers have continued to go down. The CBS News poll this week showed that only a third of voters believe that the reconciliation package, the Build Back Better package, will personally benefit them. And a third, only a third of voters believe that Joe Biden has been focusing on the issues that are most important to him and so to them. So the way to think about this is that this period of five months of wrangling around this bill has reinforced to people that Joe Biden isn't focused on the most important issue in their lives, which is COVID, and he's being punished for it. So first of all, we have to bring this to an end. We got to get the deal done. The president needs to force the parties right. together to get something done and let's move on. The second thing is he's got to refocus on COVID. You're seeing him do that today. Today, he's doing a major piece on supply chain, uh, which is a critical part of how COVID is disrupting our lives, right? This was, I think, a brilliant beginning of of a course correction by the administration. And then the third thing, and so what he has to do is he has to actually defeat COVID and get credit for it with the electorate, right? It's not just that, it can't be that COVID just recedes the understanding in the public is that we elected him to defeat COVID and he did, right? And this is really critical. Right. Third is that I think we have to adopt as a family what I call the Gavin Newsom framework. And the framework is we lean hard into COVID, we sell the rest of our agenda, climate change, healthcare, and economy for all, et cetera. And then we define them as being radical, extreme, and unfit to govern. And I think for Joe, for the work that you've been doing around defending our democracy, this issue of defining them as radical, extreme, and unfit to govern is a critical predicate for making the case about why we need to defend our democracy. So it also solves your issue too, right? It addresses one of the things you've been spending so much time on. So those are the three things I think we need to do. And I think if we can do those things, you know, we're going to be competitive in the elections next year. I, I would rather be us than them. And the, the main reason why is that I think repeatedly the Republicans instead of taking advantage of the of the miscues or the mistakes that the Biden administration has been making, they've doubled down on their radicalization. They've doubled down on their extremism, whether it's vigilanteism for, you know, sanctioning vigilanteism in Texas or coming out against Roe v. Wade for ending Roe v. Wade or being against the, the extension of the debt ceiling. All these things together gives Democrats a lot of material to be able to say, you know, you didn't like them in 2020. They were too extreme for you to trust with power. These are the same people. And if anything, it's gotten worse. And we can't trust them with power once again. I think they've given us so much material to work with that I'm very optimistic that if Biden can course correct and do the things that I've laid out, that we're going to have a competitive election next year. Right. You, you, as you point out, I mean, we've been debating this stuff for five months and it's all getting lost uh, in the debate between uh, among Democrats. If you structure this thing, defeating COVID, ensuring our recovery, returning to normal life versus the extremism and anti-democratic uh, authoritarianism coming out of the Republican, if, that, if that's the yeah, contrast, 
we do win in 2022 and 2024. That's why I've taught, been talking about a you know broad based pro democracy coalition. Some people, I mean, some people are better at doing, uh, you know, really expressing and, and pointing out the the uh, the extremism on the right. Uh, other groups in the coalition may be better and sh- at, at really pushing year three, defeating COVID, ensuring our recovery, returning to normal life. Thing. There's a lot of room for that coalition. But the first thing is we have to come together. What got me, um, grabbed me in, in, in your piece is we got to come together as first as Democrats, but also, as I said, that broader coalition, including former Republicans, anybody um, who, who wants to join the pro-democracy coalition. But the most important thing, I think, and you said this, is that the president needs to have some fierce urgency in his work to get this deal done. I mean, a, a fierce urgency from the president himself is going to be necessary, I think. I think you were right about that. Yeah, and listen, I think that we're underestimating how corrosive the infighting is right now. I think that we're seeing the worst party infighting uh, since the 1990s. I mean, I, I think the, you know, scars develop, people get angry, you know, people are disappointed. It's it much harder to bring everybody together next year. And I think the, you know, I think the, pre- the president needs to recognize the longer he's down in his polling numbers, the harder it is to get up. The more rancor and anger and fighting that goes on, the harder it is for us to come together. This has gone on too long. It needs to end, you know, and we, we got to bring it, the president's the president and he's got to bring the party together and get this thing done get refocused on COVID, define the opposition. And, and I think for me, I'm going to be very comfortable if Joe Biden spends the next year focusing on COVID and then promoting his agenda. It may end up being up to the candidates themselves to do the third piece of that, which is to define them as unfit and too extreme. I don't know that Joe Biden is ever really going to lean into that argument. And I will tell you, Joe, I don't know that we need him to. I'm I'm come to the place where if there's three things we got to do, which is win the COVID fight, promote our agenda, define them as being too extreme, if he can do a really good job in the first two, that means our candidates have more freedom to go do you know the third. So I think this is yeah. yeah. Well, there's also people like the Lincoln, the Lincoln Project, Project. Do, and others yeah. out there yeah. that can and do those things. There's a lot of money yeah. in our family right now, and yeah. there can be a division of labor in what people do. Yeah, there has to be, I think. But again, it's that coalition. I do think though that the president needs to to get the urgency of the moment here um, uh, to yep. get a deal done. Um, you, you, I do want to talk to you just a little bit about, because you say, uh, you know, hey, you'd rather be us than them. We've got Virginia coming up. Uh, no, but we've got, you know, Virginia coming up and there's, you know, a lot of angst about that. Uh, what makes you, you know, I mean, Simon, we've talked, we've been talking th- uh, like for years about how to, how, uh, you know, whether it's organized, get out the vote more, persuade, you know, the, the party's been having that argument. Where are you? What do you think? Why would you rather be us than them right now? Yeah, I think there are two things. One is I think that we have a better argument to make than they do next year. And I think that really matters. Our story is going to be a better story than theirs, assuming we can achieve the things that I've laid out that we've been discussing. But I also think there's something else going on that is not as as well understood as needs to be which is that, you know, in the 2020 election, I sat in the same room that I'm in now and I made, you know, 12 hours of phone calls for um, for Joe Biden. And I touched hundreds and hundreds of people in swing battleground states. And we just didn't have the ability 
to go to the two, three, four million people. Joe, you've been talking about this since I've known you, right? That the core group, we the core group of volunteers and activists, the Democratic Party, let's say is somewhere between two and four million people who give, who take a step, who do anything, right, to advance a Democrat anywhere. We what you helped us learn how to do is how to harness those people for money that we could raise into a campaign to get, you know, and in some cases they contributed to the storytelling and the narrative and their activism and they can volunteer in their own states. Now with this new distributed phoning and texting technology, those two, three, four million people can actually do GOTV in every battleground state and yeah. in, in every battleground election. We just didn't have that ability before. And so I think there's a question about whether or not this set of tools that we have are going to now prevent the kind of midterm drop off or special election drop off that has always plagued the Democratic Party. We have more voters, but we have more episodic voters than they do. Right. And so turnout has been a bigger challenge right. for us. In, and what you've seen is that in things like run, you know, in, in the in the Newsom the Newsom race, right, a recall or in the special in the in the Senate um, runoffs, we would have huge turnout problems. And let's just dial back, right? We've had two elections in 2021. We had the Georgia runoffs. We had incredibly high turnout there, right? In California, not only did Newsom overperform the polling, we had higher turnout than we had in 2018, which is almost unimaginable for those of us in this system, which means right. that it's possible that this new technology, that we there are more Democratic voters, and now we can ask them all personally to go vote which is something we couldn't do before. And I'm just wondering whether or not in 2022, we have a tool that will mitigate any drop off in a midterm that we didn't have before that will make us more competitive. And I'm and so one of the things I'm doing is I've committed to do 10 hours of phone calls for Terry McAuliffe. I did two hours last night. And I can tell you, I reached a lot of people last night. I helped people learn how to early vote who didn't know how to early vote. I took th three undecided voters, and I think I made them into McAuliffe voters, right? And just my own contribution last night, you know, I think if I do this for 10 hours, I may generate 50 additional votes for Terry. Imagine if a million people do that, right? And so I, I think we're in a very right. different place now in terms of the kinds of technological revolution that you, frankly, frankly are the godfather of in the family, um, and that we have a new tool that could end up meaning that we're going to have high turnout elections, you know, forever now. Final point I just want to make on this is that I don't think right. people really understand how many more voters voted for us in these last two elections. When we go into 2022, there are millions yeah. and millions of more Democrats than Republicans who've recently voted, and many more of Democrats than Republicans have voted in all of these states where we're going to be competing in. And that's another reason why I'd rather be us than them, right? We had very high turnout. We have a lot of new voters, and that we can take these new tools that we have and hopefully turn them out and have a very, and have all I want in 2022 is for us to be competitive, right? And I think we can. And I think if we're competitive, we're going to have a better argument. And I'd rather bet on us than them. Right. And I think you're right, though, about the technology. I mean, a lot of things that we didn't have uh, back back when we started to do this, uh, and, and even through the Obama era, the, you know, there were lots of limitations. You could target, you could raise money. There are lots of things you could do. Um, but with this new uh, ability to put, uh, you know, in people's hands, the power to connect with, you know, like you said, you have, we have millions of people who contribute 
uh, now there's something more they can do uh, than just watch it be spent on television or something, which, you know, is another thing that uh, that I think the, the, the party's starting to learn the lesson. Joe, let that. me just jump in is that um, that's the key point here is that this is peer to peer. This is human to human. I probably right. had 10 people last night thank me for calling them. It's almost for those of us who've been doing this for a long time, right? You never, no one ever thanks you for bothering them, right? And so I, you know, and I was calling people who were not necessarily prime Democrats, and I was getting, I was getting thank yeah. yous, right? And so I think, I think that part of this new technology is going to further weaken the hold of the traditional media over the party because we're going to be reaching every voter in an intimate one-on-one way through this phone and texting technology. Yeah. This is a this is a bigger revolution than I think we all understand. And it's an extension of the revolution that you laid out in your book, you know, many years well, ago. Well, let me, t- let me tell you that it reminds me of, uh, you know, back then uh, we did have the ability to generate the names of people we thought were undecided or persuadable. Um, and we decided to try the human touch the only way we could back then. Um, uh, which was to ask uh, volunteers out there to to, to write ha- handwritten um, letters to these uh, undecided people and or persuadable people about why uh, they should they 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 needed to vote, and the, the same kind of reaction that you were getting on the phone about thanks for calling. People could not remember the last time they had gotten a handwritten letter. I mean, because it's all junk mail or something. And I think that you're right now with the ability peer to peer and the technology to to have human to human contact. And we have these these millions. I mean, it, it, uh, uh, the Lincoln Project has seven million people who who follow it. The party does. I mean, all of us do the the the, the millions that gave uh, have given to Democratic candidates or um, uh, and to strengthen uh, uh, get out the vote efforts and the things that we've contributed to. Now there's really something powerful, peer to peer, human contact, not just the TV ad yelling and you know at, at, at people that have already made up their mind anyway, but to really get down to to actually talking and pers- and listening uh, and making an argument that works. I think it it could really change the game. So uh, I'm hoping you're. You're right about that. I think you are. I, I know the technology and 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 just the numbers, the sheer numbers of people out there who I think are pretty hungry to do something. Yes, we need everybody to send the ten dollars and fifteen dollars to the different candidates and groups out there. But you can do so much more now. Um, uh, and I well, let me, and let me right add one this. other point to that is that you know I wrote a piece two years ago about how you know I was part of the war room in 1992. I helped create the war room. I set up the first sort of prototype war room. And then I went back to Little Rock to build it out for the general election. So I was not just a staffer in it. I helped invent the entire theory behind it during the course of the campaign. And what I will tell you is that I think we have to rethink the war room. The war room shouldn't be 30 kids cutting videos and doing rapid response. It should be three or four million people every day who we asked to participate with us in the day-to-day information war and for them to take steps that, you know, they can do it through phoning, they can do it through giving, but they also can email 10 of their friends or they can text or they can, you know, put stuff on Twitter. And we are not being purposeful enough about asking our supporters to help us amplify and make our argument. I mean, I've done a lot of work on disinformation 
you know, I ran a countering disinformation operation for the DCCC in the 2018 cycle. And what's the big difference between our coalition and their coalition for all the people, John Favreau and others have been writing about how loud the Republican, you know, Fox News is and everything else. I think the real issue about why they're so loud is that they're networked. You know, they are connected. They, you know, right. Fox releases a video and it's it's amplified by a million people and it reaches 30 million people, right? We don't have anything like that, right? There is nothing like that on no. our side. We, you know, the closest thing we probably had to that was when CAP had its thing progress every day, which is no longer, you know, with us. And I'm, you know, I have been advocating to Jamie Harris and the DNC that they need to think of the DNC as Fox News. It needs to be a media product. It needs to be a place that creates connectedness with millions of Democrats and ask them to help fight and amplify the narrative and message every day. I think if we can do that, we can match the reach of Fox News. It doesn't mean that other organizations can't do it too, right? But we are, the absence that we have, the communication, the lack of sophistication of communications infrastructure on our side is becoming a material threat to our democracy. And it's something that we've just got to deal with. Yeah, no, I think this is something that we've, that's just, um, way underdeveloped on our side. I mean, look, you, it's not just Fox, it's Breitbart, it's Newsmax, it's, it's, it's ben Shapiro. different network. I mean, and, and yeah, and the way those are, they're immediately picked up by a million followers or 2 million followers and then spread. And that, that gets to, you know, in the Dean campaign, we had the Block for America, Howard Dean would post on it. Um, and then I would post on it and thousands and thousands of our supporters would post on it. We'd be have direct conversation with them over the, uh, you know, and, and Howard would pull out, um, call out, hey, Simon, that was a great idea, you know, and, and people knew that we were listening and they were part of it. Yes. Um, and that grew to 650,000 people that were participating that way. I woke up in the middle of the 2016 campaign and realized the first person candidate to actually do it that way was a guy named Donald Trump. And Twitter was his personal blog for America. And he was connecting directly to 17 million people who were picking up everything he said, spreading it to their friends, emailing it. Um, he would call them out and say and retweet them. And damn, um, if if it wasn't, I, I, I was stunned. And the, the, the thing I think we all need to understand this, again, part of that pro uh, big, broad pro-democracy coalition is we don't have that amplifying echo chamber and different media outlets out there that have been developed like the way the right developed theirs over the last two decades, if not if not longer. And that's going to require a lot of hurrying up now. And I, I think pieces are coming together. There are people like Midas Touch, Lincoln Project, I mean, that are pumping out content and, and message. But we, we've got to, I think you're right about the DNC. There literally has to be a pro-democracy coalition of a bunch of organizations with those those kinds of followings where we're literally um, amplifying the message of them being too extreme or, or, or making sure that people understand that it's Biden's uh, administration that's taken on COVID and, 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 and got us into recovery as that happens. We need um, to be under, uh, to understand that we have to start fighting um, this disinfo with our own information structure that does not exist right now. We've got to build it in the next two two years or next year. 
Hey, Joe, I just want to respond to that because I think everything you just said is really important. And, and when I was at the DCCC in 2018 cycle, one of the things we talked about is that we just have to be loud, right? Like we have to be louder. And the best way to combat disinformation and misinformation is that you have to be loud and you have to make it harder for them to dominate you know, the discourse wherever it's happening, right? Wherever right. the discourse is happening, you have to dominate it. And let right. me just tell you a story, something that I actually, that you probably remember is that I was working with a company that was tracking disinformation during the, the, the 2018 cycle. The very, the very first yeah, state sure we went into was Alabama. And in, in the first test we did was in the Alabama Republican um, debate that happened. And the night of that debate, um, the, the right-wing candidate who ended up winning the primary, which at that point we didn't know, his videos and his memes we saw spread through the internet, through uh, outside networks pushing this stuff so that that night, and just you'll remind me of his name, but... Um, you know, his, uh, yeah, Roy Roy Moore, Moore, I think. that his stuff spread yeah. like wild through the internet and got millions and millions of views and the other Republican candidates, it just stopped. And in the debate that, you know, when you were your candidate, right, debated Roy Moore, we saw very similar stuff where your memes, your arguments, your posts, right, would go to, you know, a thousand people, 2000 people, but wouldn't be reaching because we had right. no amplification mechanism, right? And so yeah. the idea that all these years later, we still don't have that. We don't have some kind of purposeful understanding of the need to amplify. And it's not, there's a big difference between using, and I think this should be done through people and not through fake accounts, right? Every candidate, I mean, I've advised House candidates that you should have 20 or 30 people back in your district that are volunteering to be your amplifiers, you know, that are people that are taking each tweet you do and sending it out and writing a note, you know, as yourself, right? You're just a citizen putting it out there, right? We don't need to replicate their abuse of, of fake identity and, and, and what I call fraudulent right. representation. We don't need to do that. We have millions of people who are willing to get up every day with us and go fight this information war, but we have to ask them to do it. We have to make it clear. And what the Republicans have done is they've created a narrative where the, the media is against them. So we need to organize our own information ecosystem to combat the mainstream slash liberal media. And so there are millions of people who get up every day who know that what it means to be a Republican is to tweet or to text or to play a role in the information war. And that's something that we should be able to do over the next year is take do it in ways that are consistent with our right. values, right? Not the way they do it, right? Where they use a lot of fraudulent accounts and and misrepresentation, but we can do yeah. this. And it's frankly, um, it's what people want. I mean, what, what you did for us during the Dean campaign is that you showed us that people wanted a healthier relationship to politics, that they wanted this to be more meaningful. They wanted it to be more real. They wanted it to be more personal. And people felt in your campaign, like they were helping build the campaign. You weren't building it for them. Right. They weren't sitting on the sidelines doing the golf clap. They were partners in the fight with you every day. We have to change our culture away from donors and big expensive media where people are you know, donors to the cause. We need to turn them into partners in the fight. And that's where we have failed. We have not been able to do that. And that's what Americans want. Joe, they want to be part of your coalition to save our democracy. We haven't asked them yet adequately of how to do that. We haven't really given them their assignment 
But I am confident that millions will step up if we ask properly and give them something that feels real and not bullshit, frankly, you know, the kind of political stuff. Yeah. I mean, so much of the political email and stuff that we all get now is just obvious. It's is terrible. Bullshit. It's terrible. It's <laughs> insulting. It's stupid. It's manipulative, right? It's got to be the Dean Trippy model, which is that authentic, real, meaningful, you know, and and because that's, you know, I, I tell a story that my first experience in a campaign, in a presidential campaign, was being a field organizer. And I can't tell you how many people would walk into your field office and volunteer and then start t- telling you their story and about how meet, how important it was for them about electing Mike Dukakis or Bill Clinton because they felt that their lives and their families' lives were going to get better. And this was the most important thing they could do. And the passion that I found in these kinds of engagements was just overwhelming for me. And we we have an obligation to do better by our own folks to give them a more meaningful way of participating in our system. I think this phone stuff is an example of it, right? I think I, I when I fi- finished yeah. my two-hour calls last night, it was the happiest I'd been in like, and even though I had people hang up on me, I had people yeah. call me, you know, anti, you know, pro-vaxxer and all this other stuff. At net-net, <laughs> after two hours, like, I was the happiest I'd been in months because I felt like I was really engaging in a very elemental democratic process, which is talking to folks about the future of their country and the need to vote. Yeah. And we're, look, we're in a fight now, I think, that, it, and I've said it, it's, it's not Democrats versus Republicans, left versus right. This really is um, those who are willing to come together in a pro-democracy coalition um, and with everything they've got, protect it, defend it against anyone who's um, pushing this authoritarian, you know, wise and extremism um, in in the country right now. And, and I, look, I think there are plenty of people when that will respond to that. We just have to continue to get get them the tools and and engage. First of all, getting back to your it's time for Democrats to come together. Stop the internal debate, settle it, fix it, get it done, and move on to the real one uh, about cha- you know the effect on people's lives versus this extremism um, and the standing up for de- our democracy against those who 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 are anti-democratic and are trying to destroy it. That those are the, we have to get to those kinds of uh, arguments, I think. And I think there are a lot, millions of people out there who join it. They've got the tools now. I think it's being built. And I think we've got to build that coalition, though, so that they can decide which place they want to join the fight. There's plenty of good organizations out Agreed. there. Agreed. And I think I'm, I'm really admiring of the work you've been doing. Um, I've known you a long time, Joe, and you've been a great teacher of mine. I've learned so much from you over a long period of time. Um, and I think that, you know, Dude, dude, I support you I for know, party chair. Trust me. I mean, we're bound together. <laughs> Got us both in I, a lot tr- of trouble. Trust me, I, I've been getting, I've been good about getting in trouble in my career, and good trouble, <laughs> I think we're allowed to call it now. Joe, is that, um, is yeah. that? Listen, I, I think though that for the, you and I are no longer young. Uh, we're formerly young yeah, in, that's in our true. lives, and I think that, in a funny way, I feel today like the, what's going to happen over the next few years and these coming elections are the most important. You know, we say it's a cliche. It's the most important elections of our lifetime. And I wish it wasn't so because I'd like to go do some other things with my life at some point. Um, but, you know, this really matters. And, and this is why Biden's declining poll numbers really matter. I mean, he can't he's got to get his numbers up. The longer he stays down, 
the harder it's going to be for him to get up. Things just don't snap back in life. Things happen for a reason. You have to make them happen, right? right? And there can't be wishful thinking around this. I mean, you know, he's he's struggling. And if this if these guys were so capable and so smart, why do they let him, you know, drop down so far? And I think that I hope that what will happen in the next few weeks is that there's a lot of honest conversation in the family about why we're underperforming, how we thought we'd be doing. Because how do you lose 15 points when you're at 6.5% GDP growth, a million jobs a month are being created, and you're sending checks to 40 million people? That's not hard to, you know, it's hard to drop when things are going that well in the economy, right? right? So I think that- It's yeah, COVID. So it's COVID, it's COVID yeah. stupid, right? I mean, I was in the war room, it was the economy stupid, yeah. but you know, we shouldn't be yeah. surprised. I mean, COVID is had the same level of disruption in our lives as let's say World War II or the, or the Great Depression, right? We're talking about something that fundamentally altered all of our lives in deeply profound ways and in every way, right? And of course, it's the central issue. Of course, it's the thing that people care. It's not that they don't care about healthcare or childcare or climate, but they care more about COVID. And, and, and I think that what's happened is that right. the president's been punished for taking his eye off the ball. And the great news about that is that that's really easy to fix, you know, and, and it's not something yeah. that's lasting. It's not going to. And I think that he can reverse the decline. He can take, take control of the national debate and we can have a really good election next year. I think what I just want to encourage all of your listeners to do is to, you know, make your phone calls for Terry. Right. I've committed to 10 hours. How many are you going to do? I'm going to give Terry 50 bucks. How much are you going to give to him? It doesn't matter where you live. You can make some calls. If you haven't done it, try it. Right. It's really I think it's really rewarding. And and what I'm going to do is and I'm going to make calls now uh, forever in every competitive race in the country, no matter where it is. That's going to be part of what it means to be a Democrat now is that. And I think this redefinition of what it means to be a Democrat where you're not just working locally, but you're working on the toughest races wherever they are. You're giving money, you're making calls, you're playing in the information war. We have to redefine what it means to be a Democrat and a Democratic activist. And I think, Joe, you've done more to create that space than anyone in the country, but we now have to take it to another level, uh, given that the opposition, to your point, is much more organized, much more together than we are. We can't, we can't, we have to stop whining about this and complaining about it. And we have to do, you know, it's time to get to work. Simon, I, I I think that's a good place to to end this uh, the, this episode. I, I I couldn't agree with you more. Thanks, Simon, for joining today. We'll include a link to Simon's piece in the show notes. Uh, take a minute to read it and share it with your friends. Uh, you can follow Simon on Twitter at Simon WDC. And uh, look, uh, I'm gonna uh, join him in giving fifty dollars to Terry. Uh, I hope uh, Saw matches his uh, his contribution, uh, and uh, I hope you will do the same. And I'm going to plug in and make some calls in the next few days for Terry as well. I hope you all will follow Simon's uh, leadership on this one and get behind and, and make a real difference uh, in winning in in Virginia. I think that'll be a that'll be a good signal uh, of of good things to come. Don't forget. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And please do share this episode with a friend. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in a review on iTunes. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Simon. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.